With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blues, 
It's that time again, folks. Welcome to episode 156 of the Red V Podcast as we continue to search our way through the off-season of the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. The Red V Podcast is here to keep you updated on everything that's happening around the club. We're going to continue our off-season series uh, ch- chatting to uh, Josh White, part two of our interview with uh, Josh uh, going up here tonight. As I mentioned on last week's podcast, a little bit of a different um, circumstance around the podcast coming out and, and, and different things at this time of the year. I'm, um, yeah, I'm currently um, on, on a cruise uh, around New Caledonia, so it's a little bit different to uh, to get the podcast up and running, but do appreciate yeah, your patience. We will be back uh, to uh, the, the old format, I guess you can say, um, of the Red V podcast uh, next uh, next Tuesday night, uh, the 16th of January. We'll be uh, starting our position preview of the St. George Illawarra Dragons and myself and Curtis Woodward looking to uh, uh, have a look at the Dragons. See how the lineup 1-17 to starting with the fullback position, all the uh, conjecture around Cody Ramsey and uh, the illness that, that he has been uh, suffering through the last couple of months. Does that open the door for Tyrell Sloan? Does Moses Embai get uh, the first shot, the number one jumper? There is certainly uh, lots of questions, lots of moving pieces. And uh, myself and Kurt, really looking forward to dissecting that. So make sure you do get your, your thoughts and questions in Podcast at gmail.com for next week's podcast. But on tonight's podcast, we are continuing part two of our chat with Josh White. You might have remembered uh, we chatted uh, to Josh last week. He played part one of that conversation, talking about his career at Western Serbs, growing up in, I guess, the the southwestern suburbs or the western suburbs of Sydney and in Greystains and getting an opportunity to play a first grade footy um, it was certainly a dream of, of Josh's and yeah we pick up that story as he's playing for western suburbs having some success on the field but then we obviously talk about his time at the Illawarra Steelers and also venturing over into the English Super League as well uh, spending three seasons over there and having a, a, a fair bit of success um, over there with uh, with the London Broncos as well a, a, a club that's probably not having the success much like the Dragons uh, that they, they had formerly but uh, they were a real powerhouse uh, in the 1990s, the London Broncos, uh, that's for sure. So really do hope you enjoy uh, part two of our chat with Josh White. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, jumping on the other side of that to, uh, to wrap things up. But part two of our Josh White chat coming up next here on the Red V Podcast. In 1994, yeah, you were able to kind of cross, cross the stripe a few times. I think you got a, a double against Illawarra. Any memories of, of scoring your first try or, or scoring a try in, in first grade, Josh? It's funny, you know, I, th- I always think about that. I know I just can't. Sometimes you just, I've seen videos and I go, I don't even remember scoring that. Yeah. Try. That was been hit in the head too many times. But <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a thing that, you, you know, as I said, the whole, your whole rugby league career is a blur. And that's what I say to people when you do, if you, if you do want to get there, you've got to try to slow yourself down to really get the full extent of what you're doing. Mm. Um, as I said, I watch videos and I go, I don't even remember scoring that try. I don't remember being in that game. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I still don't remember my first first my first try, but yeah, I um, remember scoring a couple. But um, as you get older, they get longer, and they get you know you step four blokes and you chipped over the top yeah. three times. And you, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly my right. Son think, my, my, my son thinks I'm a freak. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the 30-year uh, reunion of the uh, the President's Cup side. I'm sure some of those stories probably would have been embellished a few weeks ago, especially oh, if the drinks week, are flowing, yeah. Josh. <laughs> it was the it was, it was who could do the best line on the day. I think so. Yeah. We did a we did a bit of a um, a thing of uh, MC did a went around the room and spoke to every player and how heavy are you now compared to when you played? And I think it ended up all up over the group with us. We're an extra 280 kilos. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I was, I was like, yeah, so we had some big boys here, let me tell you. 
Um, I, I know in, in 1995, um, Tommy Radonikus comes to the club and God rest Tommy Soul, such a great character in rugby league, what he did on the field as a player, but um, uh, in coaching and um, just the, the, the way that he, the passion he had for, for Western Suburbs and, and for New South Wales and Cattle Dog and all of those crazy things. I, I read an article the other day when I was prepping for this about the, I guess, some of the, the meetings you had with, with Tommy and, and some of the influence he had on, on your career. What, what can you tell us about... Tommy Rodonikus, the I guess the person and the coach, because they probably kind of merge into one at some stage. If you if you know Tommy well enough, like like you did, Josh Gein to play under him um, throughout nineteen ninety five. Yeah, well, mate, Tommy's exactly what you see is exactly how he coaches, so he doesn't change. Um, I had a lot to do with Tommy when he first came down. As I said, I was the incumbent first grade halfback, and my first meeting, he took me to the club and well, took me to his house, and I think I've told this a couple of times in the media and. He's uh, answered. He told me to come over and speak to him. So I went to his house and he answered the door in a, sar- a yellow sarong with a VB long neck with no shirt on. And I've just went, wow, this is our coach. And he's got a cigarette in his hand. And he later on, we sat in the lounge room and we didn't talk rugby league. We spoke about how many halfbacks I'm going to bash, what I'm wow. going to do to different halfbacks. You're going to hurt every halfback you play. There's no no game plan, no nothing. It was all about how tough we're going to be and how many teams are going to flop. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, here we go. So I spent – it's funny, I spent majority of the off-season doing boxing training with a state heavyweight champion just to get myself <laughs> ready because I knew there was going to be a few fights. And then um, that afternoon we jumped in the car and he said, let's go down the club. So we went down the club and Tommy gave me – I reckon we went drink for drink for two hours and I think we drank about 12 schooners. Wow. And he, he looks at me and he goes, all right, mate, we're out of here, let's go. And I'm thinking, where are we going? So we walked to the front door of the Leagues Club at West. We stumbled down the front stairs. He's got my keys in his hand. He opens the door for me, my car door, which I had a brand new car that West got me, pushes me in the car, and he looks at me. He said, now, listen, be careful driving home. He said, and if you get tired, pull over. All right? This is our first grade coach. <laughs> and the long story short, I drove around the corner, and I looked at him. He's waving to me like my dad waving to me going to school. And then uh, I pulled over and I was violently ill. And then I just slept in my car for six hours. So, <laughs> probably probably then, a wise decision, I reckon, Josh. Yeah. And then we got to training on the Monday and Tommy said to me, did you get home all right? <laughs> I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the way we're going to be. So, again, there was a big drinking culture out there at the time. Mm. And uh, Tommy, led, Tommy led the charge pretty well, put it that way. And I think he wanted you to, to be a bit of a sledger if I if if the remarks I was reading were were, were correct. I think you had a you had a bit to say to pretty much every halfback he came up against, Josh. Yeah. Well the worst one I've ever had was Greg Alexander and we're playing Auckland in Auckland. And Tommy took me he rang me and said, Come up to my room and I went upstairs and he sat me in the bed, just me and him. And he goes, Who are we playing tomorrow? I said, The Warriors and he goes, Who's the halfback? I said, Greg Alexander. Long story short, I went to school with, just after Greg mm. Alexander at the same school. He was my idol. I loved him. I, you know, I got on with him. And then Tommy just looked at me and said, well, tomorrow you're going out there. You're going to sledge him. You're going to punch him. You're going to do everything you possibly can to put him off his game and we'll win. And he said, and if you don't, he said, I'll be dragging you off and you'll never play first grade at this club again. So that night I didn't have a, I had a sleepless night thinking mm. this is my idol and I've got to go out and sledge him. And – and I had to, I went out in first scrum and Brandy's got the ball and I pushed him in the face and took the ball off him. <laughs> it just went from bad to worse. And it was later, it wasn't until later, and Brandy didn't talk to me for years. 
like years yeah, until wow. he found out the story. Yeah. So a mate of mine told him the story and he goes, oh my God. He said, I still remember that day. Josh was my little understudy and here he is sledging me and bagging me. <laughs> and now, we, uh, now, we, now we're back to normal again. So we have a laugh about it. So yeah, but that was Tommy. Tommy just, it was more about passion and wanting to win and fighting and you know, getting people off their game. It's, it's, it's a different, different scenario altogether with Tommy. He was a great guy. Everyone loved him. But um, yeah, he just loved to fight. Was that, that sledging or being a bit of gr- a bit of a bit of a grub <laughs> is what fans would probably call it these days? Was that something that you you found like it's obviously not something that probably comes natural to a lot of people, or maybe to maybe to some some halfbacks it might. But was that something that you found really really hard, Josh? Not really. I mean, because halfbacks are chirpy anyway, so mm. I was always chirping and chatting and you know ripping into blokes but that was next level like you've gone from being a you know a bit of a sledger to trying to physically hurt someone you know i mean Mm. that was the hardest part for me um and it's different talking to a bloke and then it's different trying to grab the bloke by the throat and you know want to punch his lights out so and that was tommy's idea Uh, get on top of him and make him worry about you know all that sort of stuff so yeah it was fun but yeah I, i would never do it again yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's probably yeah, probably wise wise advice to any young halfbacks that are, are listening to oh, to the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you you play a handful of games in in 1995 for for Western Suburbs. Obviously, that season is disrupted. I guess you could you could say by Super League and um, players signing contracts and Super League trying to get their competition off the ground. Did you have anything to do with Super League officials, or did that uh, that impact yeah. any of the any of the the play for you in in 1995, Josh? Well, I played the first few games at halfback, and I broke my hand pretty bad, and I was out for 12 weeks, and during that 12-week period, I had a phone call. Graham Murray, the old Steelers coach, is my cousin. Um, and he rang me and he said, mate, we want to sign you to Super League. And I'm going, I've got a broken hand. I haven't ever done anything. Mm. And then I went in there that night and I walked out. I was on $40,000 at West and I think I signed for two sixty, two seventy, two eighty. Yeah, wow. And that night, and I hesitated. And Michael O'Connor was the um, Super League rep at the time. And my last words from my mum when I left the door to go to sign the Super League, she goes, don't sign anything till we talk. Mm. And then I said that to Michael O'Connor. He um, pulled out a checkbook, wrote out a check for $35,000 cash. And he said, you sign that now and you get this to take home. And I just said, give me the pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, I look back now, was it a good thing? No. Did it wreck the game? Yes. Mm. Me and Tommy had a big fallout over it because he was ARL. Yeah, um, okay. You know, I mean, he, he, and it was hard for me because I was pretty, I was upfront with him. I said, listen, I signed Super League. This is what I've got. And some people were saying how good it was, and then some people were being negative about it. And then a lot of the, a few other blokes signed Super League too at the time, and they were too scared to tell Tommy. Mm. And yeah, they were turning up in brand new Honda Preludes and, you know, top of the range cars. And I'm going, did you sign Super League? They're going, yeah, don't say anything because we've seen what's happened to you. Yeah. So yeah. I sort of had a big fallout at West at that time. And again, would I do it again? No, I'd probably you know stick loyal. But at the time, and you you know a young bloke from Western Suburbs, and they're throwing over two hundred thousand dollars at you, it's a no-brainer. It must have been upsetting as well to fall out with Tommy, because it, it seems like from some of the stories previously that you you had a you had a pretty good rapport with him. Oh, we, I did. Yeah, you know, Tommy and I got on really well. We're like mates, really good mates, and um, yeah, we had a laugh, and we always you know taking the piss out of each other. But then we um. Yeah, had that fallout, but then afterwards, I seen him. You know, afterward, all 
you know, I finished my career and I used to go, to the, I still do go to all the West reunions and Tommy, me and Tommy used to sit, at the, we enjoyed each other's company that much. We used to sit at the same table at the mm. reunions. You know, and so um, we got over that period, but yeah, again, you know, I was a West, I really love West as a club and I would, I would have been there for a long time if I stayed and stayed loyal. But at the time, mate, you can't put old heads on young shoulders and that's what happened. It just, it got me. And, um, yeah, it sort of broke some friendships, but I've mended those friendships since then. And, um, yeah, as time goes, we just move on. And it's a pretty hard thing, isn't it? As, as Not only as a, as a young player, but the fact that there certainly wasn't the same amount of money in rugby league then back in the 90s as there is these days. And, and there were yeah plenty of players that got some pretty pretty handy pay rises and kind of set themselves up by the future. Because I think, yeah, you said you're on 40K at, at West and then you you signed for the Steelers for, for 280. It's six, seven times yeah, what yeah. you would have been getting. It's a, it's a pretty handy bump, uh, bump in pay, isn't it? Oh, there's a lot of blokes. The same Steve Ed was the perfect example. Mm. He announced his retirement at the Cowboys and the Super League reps went up there trying to get everyone but to sign. Steve Edmed signed a three-year deal for 800000 a season. Yeah, He's wow. already retired. Mm. So there goes, yeah. So everyone laughs about that. But at the time, there was that much money thrown around and, and it was so surreal. It was another surreal time. Like, we had meetings in town and it was – and because I was the – you know, the one in West, every club had a representative. So I used to go to these meetings and one day they said to me, or they said to the room, who's been contacted by the ARL back then to go back? And they did, they rang me to go back and I put my hand up and next minute I'm in a room with John Rebo and he goes, who rang me? He's asking me all these questions and he said, all right, we need to stay in contact. I think, oh yeah, I said, I got my mobile. He goes, no, they're tapping your phones. He said, I'll have a fax machine at your house this afternoon. Um, wow. And we'll stay in contact that way. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is weird. And not word of a lie, was it five, 4.55? A bloke turned up at the door like Steve Irwin with his khaki gear on, with his big box, and <laughs> come inside, plugged the fax machine in, and, and I got a fax every night at 7.30. Every night, at, if I had the the uh, the paper that the fax is on, it's sort of, now they're all sort of blended in together, but I'd love to have had normal paper so you could read back yeah. what happened in those times. But I was just collecting them and putting them in this folder. But as I said, as time's gone on, they're just, it's just like blank pieces of paper now, but because it's that, that shiny paper. But yeah, it was that, yeah, it was so surreal. It wasn't funny. It was like, it, yeah, as I said, it was a, it's a bad time for rugby league, mm. but a lot of blokes made money out of it, and that's yeah. As I said, we're on we're on pittance back then and getting bashed around, and Super League come come in and change the world. Yeah, you, you think one day someone has to do a, a documentary on Netflix or something about it, Josh? Because I, I just think yeah, there's the stories like that, and we've chatted to a bunch of guys from from the Dragons, from the Steelers, from other clubs as well that have, have kind of been involved in in what happened with the Super League and the ARL, and there's just some kind of cracking stories you hear. And yeah, I think yeah. I think no, we we chat with Noel Goldthorpe many years ago, early on in the podcast, and I think he got he got a um, he got a uh, um, a, a check, uh, was able to sign a check for fifty thousand dollars, and and it's just yeah. Remarkable the money that, that that's around, and yeah, who, who knows I'm what good, rugby I'm league would have been like without it. I'm good mates with Noel Goldthorpe. I reckon he's still got the fifty thousand. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's doing he's doing pretty well. I saw I saw that he was over in Norfolk Island with a few former first grade oh, guys, yeah. and he's he's living up in Noosa, mate. So I don't think Noel's struggling at all. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. I say, I speak to him a fair bit, and I say to him all the time, doing it tough at Noosa. Yeah. And, uh, as I said, mate, he's still got his lunch money from school, so he's yeah. going all right. Now. 
Before we uh, we talk about your your move to the Steelers in in, in nineteen ninety six, Josh, I feel like it was uh, a good maybe good's probably not a a great word to describe it, but but an interesting time to play for West in the nineteen nineties. I guess kind of the um, the underbelly of Sydney was changing, and and it was it was getting younger Western Sydney, and it was still I think feel you feel like there was that kind of fibros like the the hardened boys and men that played for a Western Sydney club out at Campbelltown and, and um, it seemed like the community really involved themselves with how Western Suez were going and would really turn up for, for home games and, and different things like that. What was it like to play for Western Suburbs in those those early to mid-1990s? Yeah, as you said, it was a young you know, uh, population coming out there too because housing was affordable. Um, again, we used it as a bit of a, as you said, fibro silver tail sort of thing. We always used to do the backs of the wall. Everyone hates us sort of thing. We're from Campbelltown. Um, but no, it was the the whole, and I, I still get upset now with the West Tigers because mm. if you go out the back of Campbelltown now and see them regions out there, it's next level. It's like another city, but they've decided to put the uh, Centre of Excellence at Concord in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you know, train it at Concord when you've got you know, a nursery of rugby league players at your back door and, you know, they've moved away from it. But going back, mate, it was just a great time to be involved with out there because it was new. It was um, like we were the you know, talk of the town. We were, the, you know, we were the new boys on the block out there in the 90s. And, um, yeah, the, the, the whole of the region out there at Campbelltown just loved us. And it was, uh, you know, we couldn't do anything wrong. Um, I reckon today if we were doing the same things, we'd be probably back page of the paper and most of us would be locked up. Yeah. But uh, you, you, could get away, you could get away with it back then because there was no phones. Um, but, yeah, there was a, it, was a, it was a great experience to be part of it. Um, and yeah, the club is thriving at that stage and going well. But then, uh, as you know, that started that the wheels started to fall off pretty heavy. I don't know how, what, where, mm. but there's a, yeah, the club nosed off pretty suddenly too. Yeah, you mentioned um, your brother a little bit before. Um, Kylie, he played 68 first-grade games. He was um, playing first-grade, obviously, before you were and, and played for a lot of different clubs. You got to play first-grade with him at West, but also at Illawarra in, in 1996. What was it like to, to get to play with um, with your brother, Kyle? It was good. Um, mate, we you know, virtually went to every club the same um, until we went to England. But um, it was good and bad because my brother was a front eye, as you know, mm. and... He could, when he hit someone, you could, you know, he, he could he could put him to sleep. Yeah. And there's a few times I've seen a few blokes snoring on the field because he's hit him that hard. But then on the other hand, the blokes that he used to hit used to give it to me. I had one bloke one day nearly <laughs> knocked me senseless and stood over the top of me and he said, "That's for your brother." And I think, and I'm sort of looking at the stars, going, "My God, what?" If, and I said to him, "I said, when are you going to tell him that?" And yeah. This bloke's been knocked out like about three times by him. So, yeah, um, mate, it was good. It was, you know, it's it, it's a we come through together. We played hard. We trained hard. And it was great to be on the same field as him. And, you know, he was more protector sort of thing. And, um, you know, no, no, I couldn't, I knew I was safe when he was out there anyway. Put it that way. Did you uh, find yourself on the receiving end of any of those bone crunching hits growing up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's another thing. It's, you know, as I said, the boys in gravestones, that's what we used to do out the front. He wasn't that big of a hitter back then, but he used to hurt you when he tackled. But, mm. um, yeah. And again, that's sort of toughened me up a bit too for, what I had to come across when I played first grade. He was a, he's a tough cookie. 
So you moved to uh, Illawarra in, in 1996, and I guess there kind of had been in a bit of turmoil as well because Graham Murray became the only real casualty of Super League when he was sacked in 1995 because of his dealings with Super League and, and different things that had, had transpired there. There was some change. I think Alan McMahon might have been the head coach down in the Steelers in, in 1996. What are, your, what are your memories of that that one season where you, I think you played your, your most amount of games in, in first grade, 16 games for, for the season? Yeah. What, what are your memories? Of, uh, of playing down in Wollongong there, Josh? Well, it goes way back. So as I said, Graham Murray's my cousin, and we mm. always talked about me signing with the Steelers back in the day, and it never really eventuated. And then he got sacked, and it was so uncanny how it all happened. So my brother signed at the Steelers first. I had two years to go at Western Suburbs. I signed a, uh, a three-year deal, and I was one year in. And um, my brother signed at the Steelers. So I had no intentions of playing for Illawarra. I had no, you know, I was just... So the, the day we moved him down here, um, we went to the club afterwards and meet up with Alan McMahon to say, you know, hello and welcome and all the rest. Mm. And we got on the beers that afternoon at the Steelers Club and Alan McMahon looked at me and he goes, what are you doing next year? I said, well, I'm still at West. And he goes, do you want to come here? I went, I don't know. I've never thought about that. And he goes, get your manager on the phone. So we got my manager on the phone. We were like 10 beers deep by this stage. And he said, mate, I want Josh to come to the Steelers. My manager started panicking and going, oh, God, this can't happen. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. And he's going, make it happen and make it happen Monday. <laughs> and my manager <laughs> in all sorts by this stage. And all of a sudden, I've got a meeting lined up at Steve Noyce at Western Suburbs, who I'm really, really good friends with. And he was sort of in shock that I was there asking for a release. Mm. And then um, and I, at the time, I was had that fallout with Tommy too. So it wasn't like I was going to be any, you know, getting any favours at Western Suburbs. I'd signed Super League and... I was, you know, I was saying to Alan McMahon, mate, I've signed Super League, and he goes, I don't care, just come down here for one year. And, mate, that afternoon, sealed the deal, and I um, ended up signing with the Steelers the following Wednesday, I think. And then, uh, yeah, I was here. What What are your memories of that of that season with Illawarra? Oh, it's great. You know, the, some of the best players I've ever played with, Paul McGregor, Rod Wishart, Trent Barrett come into the fold, mm. and big Dave Walsh. You know, I mean, all them blokes were just great blokes. And, you know, Neil Pincinelli is a good mate of mine. Um, yeah, it's, you know, them blokes are – Brett Rodwell, it was a star-studded side. I just, you know, we just couldn't put it together that year. And as you said, I ended up playing 16 games, but you know, a lot of them games were losing. We weren't getting flogged. We are just getting beat by different things. And, you know, the ball bounce of the ball didn't go our way a few times. And, yeah, it was a great season. But, um, yeah, it was one that we – I think we could have played a lot better. And I think we – you know, and poor old Macca died on his sword pretty quick there. Mm. And uh, he got sacked straight away, so – and the, the, the knives were out straight after we lost the first couple of games. Is, is that so, is the fact that, that Alan kind of got moved on the reason you didn't stay there any longer, Josh? No, like, I wanted to stay longer. So I met my wife down in Wollongong, mm. and I you know I fell in love with the place, and that's why I moved back here now. Um, and I thought this is where I want to live. But Bobby Millwood said I couldn't stay because I'd signed Super League and it's too hard to get out of, da-da-da. And I sort of went, oh, right, oh, then. So I had really no option. I wanted to stay, but there's no no you know way I could stay. So I had to just sort of throw myself into Super League and find out where I was going to be. And um, yeah, it was again, if I could turn back time, I'd stay. I would have stayed at the Steelers, but got moved on and signed Super League and ended up in England. Yeah, tell us about that that move to the UK. So you played with Salford and also uh, the London Broncos um, over there, who were a very very good side uh, back back in the day. How did that that move all, all come together? And what are your what are your experiences or memories like of uh, of your time over in the UK? I think you spent three years over there. 
Yeah, threes over there. But again, you know, it, it's, you had no choice. And that was what I really disliked about the Super League thing. They sort of owned you. So you got no, um, yeah, you got no really pick where you're going. They virtually tell you in the end. And then um, Graham Murray signed Super League and I was going to go with him to the Hunter Mariners. And then Morgan, who owned the Hunter Mariners, said, we're not signing two halfbacks, we only want one. So they st- stuck with Goldie, who was playing really good football mm. at the time as well. And you know, I ended up going to, as I said, ended up at London Broncos. And you know, again, we'll virtually three quarters full of Australians. Greg Barwick, Peter Gill, Tony Mestroff, the CEO of mm. Manly now. He was our front rower. Russell Bowden from Melbourne. Um, Tolson Tollett. We had a virtually Australian side. We, then we ended up getting Martin the Fire and Sean Edwards. Yeah, wow. Which is, uh, and um, we had a great year. We come second and we um, – was first past the post back then. It was the old English Premier League style. No, there was no grand final. It was just whoever got the highest points won the comp. And we come behind Bradford, who was coached by Matty Elliott. And, you know, that playing Bradford at Bradford was like going to a cauldron. It was like, mm. if you ever seen Hodsall Stadium, it's like a volcano. Yeah. You sort of drive into it and it's like you look down into it. And that was next level. But, um, yeah, it was a great experience. We, uh, no one really knows. We trained in Queensland for 12 weeks before we went to London because it was cheaper for us to live out here than it was in London. Mm. As, and rent houses for us. Yeah. <laughs> so we all stayed out here and we trained at Yapoon at a Capricorn resort and they built a, uh, a field out of turf, like a turf farm, built a proper rugby league field for us and we ended up training up there for 12 weeks. And put it this way, it was like an end-of-season trip at the start and we spent 12 weeks of – our motto was we train hard and then we party hard. Yeah. <laughs> If we got them, if we got them mixed up, we don't go out. So yeah. we trained really, really hard up there. And back in the day, that were Tony Curry was our coach, and Kelvin Giles and Glenn Workman, all them blokes were involved in it. And the training was next level. I, I still remember nearly passing out and, on numerous mm. occasions because it was so hard. It was just really get down dirty and you know don't stop. And it put us in good stead going over there. But the English game hit us 100 mile an hour. We thought we were superstars walking in because we're all from Australia and we're going to win the comp. And we played a game against uh, uh, Lancashire Lynx, which were just like a first division side. Mm. And we put them to bed 64 to 4. And then we come up against uh, Bradford the next game. And we're thinking, oh, we'll be right. We'll give it to these blokes. And they give it to us. And it was that fast. It was like playing touch football. Yeah. Well, we're used yeah. To, we were used to the wrestling and we're, you know, getting up and back. And, yeah, you know, this was like you didn't have time to breathe. It was that fast. And after the game, I spoke to Steve-O, the Sky Sports reporter, and he goes, geez, you blokes are way off the mark. And I went, I've never played a game like that. That was that, mm. that, was that fast. Yeah. It was just like – and, again, it was, you, you could not get your breath. But we adapted to it after a while. And, as I said, we ended up coming second. And it was a great year. And the boys were great blokes. And, as I said, we still all get on and have reunions. And, yeah, it was a good, was a good time. It was a good good lifestyle. And we traveled, I traveled half the world when I was there. So, I was, yeah, paid dividends in the end. What was the, the level of rugby league like at, at that time? I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit there, Josh, with how quick the game was, especially uh, against Bradford. But in terms of the whole competition and also when you played with Salford, uh, what was the, the, the general play like? Because I think there was kind of this misconception that back in the day it was a really weak competition. It was a bit of a retirement ground for Aussie players to go over and earn, earn a bit of money. But you, you look at the game th- these days and, and look how well England did to, to make it into the um, into the World Cup semi-finals. It seems like it's, it's come along in 
leaps and bounds. What was it like in the in the mid to late nineteen nineties over in the UK? Yeah, that was the talk. And when we went there, we thought the same. That's why we ended up like getting poleaxed by Bradford because we just thought, you know, this is going to be easy for us. Mate, it was pretty much the muchness. The hits were as hard. It was, um, but there just wasn't a wrestle there. It was like you tackle and they bounce up and you play the ball and go on with it. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I should say, but a lot of blokes <laughs> over there were full of steroids at the time. Yep. You, you yeah. You see blokes over there. I, I got whacked by Barry McDermott and them blokes, and it was like getting whacked by a brick. Mm. Um, you know, there's blokes over there, Paul Four, but there's massive. They were massive. They were next level. You know, their shoulders were, their shoulders were coming out of their ears just about. They were yeah. that big. <laughs> um, but again, as I said, the, the defence was. It, it's just as hard. The hits were just as hard, but it was just the wrestle and the little tactics around the ruck that made it a lot quicker. Um, and again, it wasn't very structured play over there, as you could see. Well, we had Martin the Fire in our team. He used to you know, get into dummy half, and then I'd be at first receiver. He'd run behind me to get away from the markers. Mm. You know I mean? So it was just like do what you can to get up the other end of the field. And it was just fast. As I said, it was fast. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big blokes over there that you know, hurt a lot of people. Mm. Were, were, you, were you glad that you got the opportunity to go over there? I, I know hindsight's a, a wonderful thing, and I'm sure if you had your time again, you would have loved to play a bit more first grade of West or Illawarra, but were you thankful for the opportunity to get to, to go and play in the UK, Josh? Yeah, that was, yeah, it was, um, for me, it was uh, a learning. It, was, it made me grow up a lot, actually. Like, I was at home, living at home, and I had a girlfriend, and I sort of went over there, sort of still immature, I think, but it sort of made me grow up, and, um, yeah, I, would I love to have stayed at West or Willowar? I'd love to have been here for another five years if mm. I could, but, you know, it just didn't happen that way, and I got there, and as I said, I travelled most of Europe, and it, that gave me the opportunity to do that, and, you know, I had a wonderful time, and I've made some great friends. Andy Platt, the Great Britain prop, yeah. godparent, he's godparents of my kids. Um, you know what I mean? So, and you know, I, I got really good mates with Bobby Goulding over there, and yeah, I've still got. I could go over there tomorrow and wouldn't have to pay for accommodation because I got all these blokes that I played against or with, and ended up really good friends with them. And to this day, we're still friends, and yeah, we still talk to each other. And yeah, it was a great experience. And I suggest every rugby league player in their day, once they get you know, the opportunity, is uh, to go over there and have a crack at England. How cold was it over there, Josh? Absolutely freezing. <laughs> Absolutely, just yeah, next level. Lucky we played in the summer. Yeah, I've played a, I played a, I come back from injury once, and we played a game at Dewsbury. If you ever seen Dewsbury ground, it's like running up, like up a hill. Like yeah, you, wow. <laughs> you're running north to south, but the you're running from south to north, and it's all up a hill, and it, the, it was virtually bordering on snowing. It was sleet, and it was that cold. I've never experienced anything like in my life. Half time, I've walked in the sheds, and our chairman, um, John Williamson walks in with a, a tray with drinks on it. And I'm thinking, well, what's this bloke doing? And I'm said to the bloke next to him, I said, what's this? He goes, oh, it's sherry. And we're trying to warm ourselves up. Oh, wow. so we're, drinking, <laughs> we're drinking sherry at half time to, um, yeah, to warm ourselves up. It was that cold. Remarkable. When people say England's cold, it's yeah. next level cold. <laughs> when, when you look back on your, your first grade career, Josh, what, what do you think you found – um, most satisfying about playing in first grade and what was something that you, you found really difficult about being a, a first grade footballer? Well, as I said at the start, I never thought I'd play first grade. As I said, I got cut from every side I possibly went to. So for just to, for the fact of being out there was just an experience in itself and a lifetime ambition that you know I never gave up on and I got there. 
Um, the hardest thing probably was my size. Mm. Uh, I remember Mal Meninga, tack- I tackled Mal Meninga at Campbelltown one day and he, he pushed, I was right near the post he, and I sort of went to jump on him and he, his hand hit me on the, right in the sternum and pushed me and I hit the goalpost on the full. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard playing against big blokes like that. But again, these days, the little guys are as strong as and can handle that. But back in the day, we were hardly doing weights or mm. you know, r- ripping into you know anything big. We were doing a little bit of weights and just getting ourselves um, yeah, through every game just about. But, yeah, it was a great experience. And, yeah, I say to my young bloke now, it's it, it's a different game these days. It's, you know, it's, it's more professional. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, they're training full time. Well, I remember our... Um, nights at the Steelers with Alan McMahon, we'd do ball work on a Friday night and we're playing on a Sunday. And the, the motto was short and sharp, straight to the heart. Mm. So and that was what that was what we used to do. <laughs> we'd do ball work good and they'd go and have, you know, six or seven beers. So, and you can't do that these days. So it's a different it's a different world altogether. And that's the problem. I think these young blokes hear the stories of the older blokes, but they're never going to experience that because it's so professional and yeah. everything, you know, it's so monitored and you you you're like a cage lion. Everyone's watching. So after your, your time in the UK where you spent uh, three years over there, what was the next step? What was the next progression for, for you, um, Josh? Did you still play rugby league at, at a lower level? What did what did life look like yeah, for you I, after the UK? Yeah, I come back and had a couple of seasons with um, oh, Jason Outram was the coach at Guildford back in the old Jim Beam Cup days or yeah. Metro Cup back then. And, and Dave Riolo ended up playing together there. Um, we had a year there and then I moved up to Terrigal and I ended up playing a couple of years at Wyong Roos, the big club up there, which oh, yep. was fantastic. Um, they were before their time. They were like a semi-professional club still. So it was like being in a mini NRL club at the time, which mm. was good for me. Um, you know, had a great experience up there. Ended up, we had Greg Florimo playing at 5'8", and I had Shane Wilson from down here was our centre. My brother played prop. You know, So we had a really good time up there. But um, yeah, and then Sort of had two years there and went through undefeated two years in a row and got beaten the grand final twice. So that still hurts. <laughs> that's uh, that's what though, isn't it, mate? It can be a, it can be a pretty cruel game. Ah, oh, terrible! I still can't believe we lost both grand finals, but it's another t- it's another story. After your your footy career um, has has finished, what what uh, what have you been up to, uh, Josh? What have, I know you you previously did a bit of sports management stuff. You've kind of moved on from there. What's what's life looked like uh, for you um, now that the I guess your, your your footy playing days are over? I know you've been still playing a bit of touch, a bit of Oztag, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I um when I finished, I got into coaching, and I uh, ended up coaching Premier League at North Sydney, mm. and. We were linked with Melbourne Storm, and I had a fair bit to do with Craig Bellamy, and we had all the excess players come back for us on the weekends. Um, you know, the likes of Jamie Feeney, Sam Tagatizi. We had Billy Slater come back mm. one day. Um, Scott Hill come back. Uh, so we had a good, I had a good relationship down there with those guys, and I used to go down there every year for a couple of weeks at the start just to learn what they're doing and all that sort of stuff. And I had aspirations to be a first grade coach, like most folks do when you get into it. Yeah. But again, yeah. I um, you know, I was putting that much time into it. I had a young family, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to lose my family here. So, I uh, I got out of there pretty quick, and um, ended up moving up the Coffs Arbour, a place called Bellingen. I spent a few years up there, just relaxing and chilling out and you know, living the life, which was good. And then uh, moved back to Wollongong, and again got back into coaching. Ended up coaching my young bloke at Collegians, and mm. then. Uh, at Western Suburbs in the 18s. 
And yeah, as you said, playing Oztag. Um, just uh, Dave Riolo and I just made the Australian side again. Oh, nice. Congratulations, mate. So we get Ireland next year to play in the World Cup. So it'll be uh, another. It just extends your rugby league career playing mm. Oztag. We still think we're 20, but the body takes a lot longer to warm up and cool down. Yeah, well, I feel sorry for the, the guys that are lining up against you as well. Uh, David Riallo, former fullback for the Steelers, and you've got a, a guy that yeah played 30-odd uh, first-grade games. I, I don't know if, if I'd be keen to try and rip some tags <laughs> off you blokes. <laughs> oh, don't worry. The, the aggression's still there. We're just crankier and older now. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned your your son um, Cooper. Are you um, uh, heavily involved? I guess in his his progression and, and I guess his goal to, to to play first grade. I think I think you said before that he's doing a bit of stuff with uh, with the Bulldogs and that kind of stuff in his his journey in rugby league. Yeah, he's he's got aspirations to play first grade. I keep telling him it's not everything. You don't have to. It's mm. it can be a ruthless sport, and at the back end of it, there's a lot of injuries to some blokes that you know. I'm good mate at Jason Hooper and he's yeah. struggling big time now with his knees and having a real bad time. And I said to my young bloke that, you know, it's not only just rugby league, it's the back end when you, you know, and you see all these blokes coming out now with their head injuries and head, yeah. you know, they, I was good mates with Paul Green and mm. what happened to him was horrific. Yeah, you know, I really sad. It. I, was, I was only talking to him not long just before he passed away and I was just like, wow, like that was just, you know, this is, this is real. So, yeah, but my young bloke's got an aspiration to play in NRL. He's up at the Bulldogs and he's doing his thing. I mean, I try to not be the, the coach father. I just sort of support him and see how he's going. If, you know, as I said to him, if you make it, you make it. If you don't, you're not, that doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty good advice that that a lot of young uh, sportsmen and sport women can um, yeah can probably ad- adhere to, Josh. And yeah, we just want to thank you for, for giving up your time and and uh, yeah uh, telling us some some great yarns and great stories from your your time with uh, with the Magpies and the Steelers. I'm sure people listening have have really enjoyed um, how open and honest you've been. And um, yeah, we uh, wish you the best of luck over with uh, the Australian Oztag side, mate. And thanks so much for jumping on the Red V podcast this afternoon and uh, yeah telling us a bit about your footy career. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's always good to reminisce. But, um, yeah, as I said, it goes too fast. Wish we could do it all again. Really enjoy the off-season on the Red V podcast, and it's mainly because of, of getting to chat to, to guys like Josh, guys that um, have, have represented our, our great club or our, our founding members, uh, whether it be the Steelers, the Dragons. And, yeah, I think at times it's, it's, it's probably more fun to, to chat to the guys that uh, perhaps didn't have the illustrious careers, didn't play 200 first-grade games, didn't play State of Origin on Test Football, and Josh was was certainly uh, one of those players that, yeah, really enjoyed having a yarn with him uh, a few months ago over over the course of, of probably an hour, um, and we've obviously broken it up into into two parts. But, yeah, hope you enjoyed that chat as much as as I did um, getting to interview uh, Josh, and, and great to see him still still involved in rugby league and his his son, uh, son Cooper, still involved as well, uh, currently trying to apply to a bit of a career with the, the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs just across the... The bridge from the uh, the St George area, um, so yeah, great to uh, to have a chat chat with him and, and pick his brain, and also yeah, kind of hear about some of the stories, some of the yarns of, of rugby league and what it was like in the nineteen nineties. Unfortunately, we probably got away from that a little bit. Everything's so kind of over dramatised now, and that the media is uh, has uh, pretty much a twenty four seven role on everything that's happening. But it is nice to to go back in the time machine a little bit, isn't it, and and uh, take a look at what rugby league and what sport was like in the nineteen nineties, thirty thirty odd years ago, and um, yeah hear some of those uh, those great stories and uh, I guess hear, hear about some of those great players that, that have certainly put our, our great sport and our club uh, on the map.
That uh, brings us to the end of episode 156. Really hope you have enjoyed uh, the podcast episode and enjoyed the chat with Josh uh, over the last couple of weeks. As I mentioned, back to normal programming next week. Uh, January 16, the podcast will drop about 8 p.m. And uh, myself and Kurt Wood are taking a look at the fullback position uh, for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So make sure you get your questions and your thoughts in. But until then, Jack Clifton signing off from the Red Bay Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Let's go those mighty dragons. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.